This episode is powered by denmeditation.com with locations in Los Angeles that normalize meditation and make it available to all. Though meditation is the primary focus, the bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. Welcome to Den Talks. This is Tal. We have a great guest today. We have Biet Simkin with us. And you guys, if you're one of those people who has a million excuses for everything, this is your episode. So please pay attention. And I mean it. So if you're always like, I'm not good enough, I'm not worth it, or I have a million reasons why everything's not working for me, take a notepad out and write things down. She's an incredible teacher. She uses her art and music and spiritual knowledge to create these rock and roll experiences. She got most of her knowledge from her dad, who was a Russian shaman, and she does teach his teachings. But the reason I want you to pay attention is this woman has experienced more loss, addiction, and sadness than most of us ever will in our entire lives. And she sits before us today, and she is happy, and she is glowing. And I promise you, she is such a powerful force. So her story in and of itself is so moving and she gets into all of it, but also her spiritual knowledge is a huge gift for us. So not only does she share all of it, like I just said, but she also talks about what, how you get out of the way of your destructive path, how to believe in yourself and also the act of surrendering. Don't forget at the end, there's always a personal practice. She leads us in a five to 10 minute guided experience by Biet. And it, we also have our music laced in so you get a little taste of her um, musical work as well. I'm so excited to be here with Biet Simkin. She's a founder of Center for Cyclone. It's an immersive experience that we use meditation, self-inquiry, art, music, fashion, and offers an explosive experience. She believes that meditation should be loud and chucking and exciting and not boring or drab, which I'm so excited to get into with you. And she is not what you picture when you think of your average guru. And her story is also not an average one. But she is an amazing example of overcoming and finding your way in light when at some point it seems as if nothing's going to be okay, which is why I wanted to have you on here because I feel like that resonates so strongly with people. Mm -hmm. Um, She's had quite a ride to get to where she is. And I'm really excited to just dive in. She's also so pregnant right now and so beautiful. And we've been chatting. So we're going to talk a lot about that too, um, because you are literally radiating. It's so nice sometimes to be around a pregnant woman. Um, and don't forget, stay tuned. At the end, there's going to be a five to 10 minute guided be yet experience. So you don't want to miss that. So let's start from the beginning. Where are you from originally? Born and raised in New York City. So you've always been a New Yorker. She's in New York still. Yeah. I'm like a little alley cat. Um, my family immigrated from Russia, though, a month before I was born. So I didn't speak English until I was like six. Oh, wow. So your mom came over pregnant. Yeah. Wow. That's a big deal. I traveled in utero through Rome for many months and from Russia. I was conceived in Russia, lived in Rome, and then was born in Queens. Do you have siblings? I have a brother. So were you the oldest? I'm the youngest. Oh, so, so they came with him and you yeah. in utero. Wow. He was eight. Like, yeah. So he's a lot older than me. Did they speak English? No. That's tough. She spoke six languages. My mom, she was just not English. English. <laughs> no, she, that was one of them. So oh, okay. she kind of did, but the rest of them did not. So she spearheaded that. But and did they have jobs? Like how how much of like the, I mean, how what was your experience like? Like were they working? Were they not working? It was insane. I mean, so they came from communist Russia. My mom was a chemist in Russia. My dad was yeah. a doctor. These are always incredible stories. Yeah. <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah. It's like bizarre. And then they came here and you just, you, you can't do transfer anything. those things over. So 
my mother decided to become a massage therapist. And so she spent most of my childhood getting her certificate, her training, while she worked as an aerobics instructor at Jack LaLanne. But this is amazing. A <laughs> chemist. I just want to remind everyone she was a chemist and then she became a massage therapist. And she trained. also didn't like chemists. She didn't, she like, didn't like it. She was forced into that by her mom, who was, oh, okay. a, who was a famous scientist and was like, you need to follow in my footsteps. And my mom was like, super not interested, but did it to please her mom. Wow. So she was stoked to become a massage therapist. That was way more, I guess, in alignment with her. Oh, that's interesting. And I mean, it's more in alignment with kind of who you are too, in yeah. a way, versus chemistry. So, and then totally. your dad. My dad was a saxophone player and a doctor in Russia who- What kind of doctor? He was a medical doctor. And then he got tuberculosis and nearly died. And then he was led to a secret shaman in the woods of Russia to cure his tuberculosis, where he discovered Ayurveda, yoga, meditation- and the Torah and realized that he needed to escape and become a god. Like I literally just got the chills, which I know <laughs> I say a lot, but they they happen very specifically. What was this right before they left? The reason I'm asking this, I know this sounds weird, but was your brother already born? Like did these yeah. transformations happen before you were because it's so interesting who yeah. you are and it feels like their energy shifted and then they had you. Well, they actually so my dad came to my mom and he said, um, I've had this awakening. I've, you know, I've I've totally, he cured himself of tuberculosis. That's amazing. Started meditating, had this energy, like Reiki type energy coming from his hands. And he was like, I don't know what this is, but I need to devote my life to it. And he was like, why don't we make love, create a freedom child, an intentional child born into freedom, and then move to the States. So I wasn't crazy in thinking that. Yeah. It felt very like connected to you. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So you were... Wow, you were a huge part of their change. Yeah. And so then they came. And was the journey difficult? It's not fun. Yeah, leaving communist Russia is like crazy. You get on a plane and uh, you don't know where you're going. So it was like like they were told, because it was a Jewish organization that was sending them. And so they were like, you may end up in Israel, San Francisco, Minneapolis, or New York. Oh, you have no clue. No, you don't get a choice. You just You're just lucky to leave. And so then you guys were in New York and then you were born. Yeah, we landed in New York, which was my dad's choice. So, so he was wow. really stoked because he was a jazz saxophone player. So he was like, I really want to end up in New York. So the shamanism was working. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was working. So he studied how much into like that path did he get into when he was there? Or did he really dive deeper once he was here? He became an awake, like what he did for a living here was an awakened shaman. And he, he called himself a psychotherapist, but he had like, and he was pretty famous in the Russian community. Like, can you, if you can imagine like Brighton Beach fans, you know, Brighton like, Beach, I love it. Oh, we love Dr. Simkin, you know, like. Now, did they know what he was like? Did he play it off? Like, was he overt with his, or was he underhand in a way he was kind of giving everyone the quote unquote magic, but they thought they were getting something a little more straightforward? Or did they know what they were coming for with him? Well, because he studied a thing called fourth way, which is the thing that I've mastered and what my book is based on. This work is meant to be something that's done um, without any of the the sprinkles, right? So he wore a suit he was, you know, a gentleman, he was refined, he, you know, he believed in, you know, rent and uh, normal things. He wasn't like a, a he wasn't a theory. He, he, he didn't, didn't have like a turban. Right. And there was no like frilly, you know, like you've arrived. He was grounded. Like, like he seemed of earth. Right. Similar to the, to me. Yes. This idea of like, well, the fourth way work is supposed to be done in life. So right. it's like, it's called the way of the householder, which is similar to what Vedic teaches Vedic 
studies teach the way of the householder as well, which just means how do you awaken and find enlightenment while fucking and buying real estate and like doing everyday things. Yeah. And it's honestly, that's what we all need to know. So how do you, no, I'm just kidding. We'll get, we'll get there. there, We'll get there. Um, So now your mom passed away when you were young, right? How did that happen? She got pancreatic cancer. Yeah. And just dropped dead. Like she was told she had a month to live. And then she extended that to six months with like Chinese herbal medicine and uh, acupuncture and things. But she just suffered those six months. I, I don't know what, I think her motive was just to stay with us as long as she could. And then finally she was just like, this is insane. Like I'm leaving. And how old were you? Almost seven. That's a tough age. Did you understand what was happening? Yeah, I understood, but I didn't, I didn't fully understand what death was until she died. Like it was my seventh birthday and, you know, they brought the little cake out or whatever. And I still remember like the cake comes out and, you know, you're supposed to like close your eyes, make a wish. And I wished that my mom would come back. And I just remember, I really wished that. (laughs) And, you know, you're seven, you're like, you know, this can happen. And then she didn't. So that's when I learned that uh, birthday cakes aren't like a... Magic. <laughs> were you, did you ask, were you asking like your dad, like, why isn't she coming back? No, I think I got it. But I was just, you know, it was very, um, it's very hard when you're that young to, to understand that it's not your fault, to understand that there's any, like, you don't fully grasp. And I don't think I did until very recently that I, there was nothing that I could have done or that, that had I done, like, I think in your mind as a kid, like you just get, I must have fucked this up somehow. Because she wouldn't have left otherwise. That's so interesting. So, and you guys had a good relationship, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, she worked two jobs and, you know, went to school. So I only saw her on the weekends. But yeah, we had a great relationship. So even with that, it's like you still somehow thought you had something to do with it. It's amazing. Yeah, I thought she didn't love me enough. I thought I was, yeah, not good enough. Like if I was just, if I could have just been better, a better daughter, then I would have persuaded her to stay on this dimension. How did it change your family when she passed? Night and day, like the house. I mean, the life that we lived prior to my mom's death, although everyone started to die after that. So it wasn't like just my mom. It was like we had two sets of grandparents when we came to the States. And those two sets of grandparents watched my brother and I interwovenly. So like we would swap grandparents day, day. So like Monday, I was these grandparents. Tuesday, I was with those That's amazing. I know. It was like, it was like we would walk down this little hallway, sort of like, do, do, and like <laughs> <Just> swap. <laughs> And so they watched one and they watched one. And um, and on the weekends, we got to be with my mom and dad, who were like so different from my grandparents. My grandparents were like, you know, old Russian people, you know, really. A little strict. What? Strict. No, not strict. One side was stricter than the other, but they were more just like, you know, they didn't believe in God. They weren't doing yoga. <laughs> they didn't meditate. They were, you know, very simple not simple, they were simpler, you know? And then my parents were like these super like advanced, like poetry reading, philosophically grounded yogis who had this vision, like their vision was to basically create what Osho created. Like, and this was like the eighties, you know? Yeah. That's what they were planning on doing. And then my mom got sick and, and died. So once she died, my dad who was already, you know, he's this awakened shaman, awakened guru, and he already had a bit of a problem with the ladies. It only kind of exacerbated that. Once she was gone, it was just like woman after woman. Like every two years, there was a new girlfriend moving into our house. But these women weren't like becoming my mom. They were like, you know, they were just like women who were living with us. My brother became a metalhead. And so it was just like 
people moving through our house all the time. My father had his patients, clients, whatever you want to call them, coming through the house, and many of whom were schizophrenic or like depressive. And you're young. And I was, no, but it was sort of like, you know, running with scissors. Though. Yep. So sort of like that meets like Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pitch that one. Yeah. Um, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> Theater is near you. Um so what did that do for you? Like, did you feel lost? Were you unground? Like, how, where were you? Like, I mean, now you were like such a ground, I mean, you clearly, you walk in a room and you are a grounding, powerful force. Like, who were you then? I wasn't grounded. I was very much who I am now, actually, because I think that before we lose our essence, before we get lost, we have this who we are so clear and so I remember, it's interesting, I was talking to a friend of mine, she was a daughter of one of my father's many, like, Right. Serial monogamies. And so she started living with us for two years, like on the weekends. And I remember saying to her, like, because back then I was so fucked up. Like I was just depressed all the time and writing poetry about like killing myself and unicorns and just it was so dark. (laughs) And uh, and I just was so, so sad all the time. And I had no solution for it whatsoever other than, you know, music and art, which then became my. How old were you at this time? Like nine, you know. So it was like two years after yeah. my, my mom had died. And um, she said that she felt that I was like this always. She was like, just being around you was so calming. You always had this like sense of, you know, this mystical sense about you. And you made everyone feel so good. And, and I was like, that's not how it felt to be me. Isn't you know it so I mean? interesting that like what goes on in your head isn't always what's being reflected or put out there to others or like the energy they're receiving was clearly not what was like destroying you inside right it's fascinating yeah so and then you intimated did your grandparents die pretty one after the other so it was like funeral my grandmother my mom's mom died two weeks after her no of cervical cancer and then they just all like within a year two years a couple years yeah it was just like one after the other so what was your concept? I know you said at your seventh birthday, you want, wished for her to come back. But at this point, even nine is, yeah, like, what was your concept of death at this point? You've now lost, what, five people pretty back to back. Yeah. What do you feel like? Do you remember? Like, was there, did you have a relationship with it? Yeah, I just felt like life wasn't guaranteed. Like, it just felt very, I got the mess, the memo that this isn't, you know, for necessarily forever. You just don't know when it's going to happen. You can go at any time. Which in some way, it's like we, we were talking earlier, yeah. the positive and the negative. The positive is it's actually very inspiring. Super like, inspiring, yeah. And then the negative is I'm fucking scared shitless. Like the floor can drop out from under me. Totally. <laughs> Do you feel like you were riding one of those a little bit more? Like were you on the scared part or were you neutral to it? Or I think I was more scared than I was inspired. But the scared, the way that the scared manifested was through being an artist. So like, it was like, I was terrified, but that terror was being transmuted through a very old vessel. And that vessel uh, was able to like, kind of translate that terror into something beautiful, but not necessarily peaceful. It wasn't like my music or my, you know, because I started writing songs when I was very young. And um, And you were signed to Sony 18? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So it was like I had a, a way to to express it. And as many artists do and any artist who's listening to this right now, like you can relate. I'm sure that being an artist doesn't isn't the full solution because sadly, transmuting pain into art is only half the equation. 
The other equation is healing the, the soul aspect or having access to your soul. If your only access that you have to your soul is through terror and pain and agony, then that isn't the full. You need to be brave enough to learn how to have access to the soul through bliss and joy and equilibrium and balance and groundedness, like you said. But let's talk about that for a sec, because I would say you probably are meet a lot of these, a lot of artists, writers, musicians are scared to do that healing because they feel like the pain is actually the inspiration. And Correct. without the pain, there's no creation. So yeah. what do you say to that? Because I do find that's, you know, a fascinating thing of people really prevent themselves from healing because they feel like they're nothing, if not their art. And then they feel like their art doesn't exist without their pain. Yeah, that was me. I believed that. And so I just went, led a life of massive destruction. I just destroyed everything that I touched. And um, in like what ways? Well, I mean, I I was lazy. I was selfish. I was self-centered. I sabotaged everything I started. Uh, I never finished. I couldn't do follow through. Um, I luxuriated. And I, you know, that thing, would you take the immediate pleasure or wait for the later? What is that term? Someone... It's a quote, like, will you take the immediate buzz, like of a nachos yeah. or something, or will you hold off? And get the better and one. Like, like, yeah. yeah, later of like the hot bod later or whatever, you know, like, yeah. well, what are you going to do? And I just always took the nacho, you know, it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> in case my case, the nacho turned into like vodka and then heroin and cocaine and, you know, sex with, you know, models and whatever the fuck I could put my hands on. You were on. in New York City, right? So it was this yeah. shit happening probably pretty early. Yeah. So you had a lot of access. Lots of access. Yeah. yeah. And I was pretty prudish. Like I, you know, I really got started with my real debauch, like at about 20. <laughs> my real debauch. I love it. <laughs> it took me a while. Yeah. So 20, when do you feel like you really started? What was your dad doing in all this? So he's like a shaman and he's watching you spiral. So what, what is that relationship like at this point? My dad was an awakened guru. So when I say that, I, I don't mean that like, I don't want you to take it lightly. What I want you to imagine is imagine that you're living with Eckhart Tolle, right? right? So every time you walk into the kitchen, Eckhart Tolle is like sitting in your kitchen. <laughs> That's really, that was my life. And Eckhart Tolle is in a robe and drinking like vodka and eating bologna because that's what this particular version of Eckhart Tolle did all the time. <laughs> and when I would have a problem or some pain or some feeling of lostness, he just, he was in a state. When someone's in a state, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, especially with like med the meditation world growing and people think that they can just like teach meditation. It's like, well, what is teaching meditation like teaching meditation is being meditation you either are meditation or you're not or you're not so those are the people who teach it the best they're the people who just are it yeah because it's a state it's like saying like oh i went to a radiohead concert and it felt so good because i love radiohead you know yep. what i mean but then if you go to like a like some dinky bar on the corner and it's some chick being like i don't know you know and it's just like <laughs> That was awful. And it's like, the, because she's not in that state. So the mu music and meditation are very similar. Like they bring you into the state of love. It's like sex. And so my dad was in this deep state. And so he emanated, it was like Amma the hugging guru or something. Right. You just walk into the room and you felt calm. And he didn't give a fuck. You know, I remember, I mean, he was just so passive. He was like, it's, it's your journey. journey. It's your journey. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> and he, he took it to another level, though. I mean, he really didn't care about reality in a way that did I'm. You, were you craving I mean, that? Like, were you craving a little bit 
less of the guru and more of like the traditional dad at times? I never craved it. But to, after he died, which was like 10 years later, um, I very much wished that I had had some kind of discipline or some kind of structure to my life. And so I blamed him for a while because, you know, when he died and then I got sober and I was just kind of like, oh, if he hadn't been so fucking, you know, out there like a space cadet, then maybe I would have blah, blah, blah. Right. But what I realized in being resentful towards him was that it's not his fucking job to be different. And I can't go back in time and make him a man that he wasn't. So the question is, what do I want? Like, what do I really want out of this life? And do I believe that I can get there despite the fact that I was raised by an alien? I mean, that's actually pretty amazing because ultimately you learn the lesson he was trying to teach you the whole time. Yeah. Which is like, it's yours. You got to you got to put one foot in front of the other and figure it out. And you'll learn the lessons when you learn them. Yeah. And you'll move past them when you're ready to move past them. Yeah. Um, how there's two things because we left one thought that I want to go back to, but this is so interesting. So you were, like you said, you're deboshed in your twenties, which is a good title of your next book. <laughs> Not the one coming out, the one after that. Um, I'm kidding. Um, you were, like you said, heroin, coke, doing everything. Not in school, I'm guessing. Just totally like out. I dropped out of school, yeah. And, but performing, doing yeah. your art, doing all of that. Yeah. So what was, what, and when, where is your dad in this point? Is he still alive? Is he, okay. So where, like, where are we now? Where I feel like we're. Yeah. He's alive. I'm living with him. I lived with him until I was 26. And he just watched me, what you're saying, spiral. But the thing is, is that I really was always this very weird mixture of things like I was always like I was that girl at the party at seven in the morning snorting coke and being like the meaning of life is this like, right, right. And like a, a circle of people around me being like yeah you always you are know. the same person I right? mean yeah but I was like a selfish broken destroyed drug addicted version of that yeah you know? but you were the beat up car yeah <laughs> it's like it's like, you want this version? Yeah. But I like, I didn't know any other way. I couldn't see myself too. So that was something I was sharing with someone the other day. They were like, when did it change? And I was like, well, I didn't know this was happening. I had no idea that I was a drug addict. Like none. Zero. No. That was normal. It was just like, this is what I do. I thought everyone did drugs. And it seems like you were pretty functioning. Sort of. And but you- functioning what? Like I lived a bougie lifestyle. Right. My father paid my rent. We had no money. But- I meant like there was no consequences in the sense of like yeah. you weren't on the street being like, what the fuck has happened? Correct. Th- then the consequences started. To okay. Come. So let's talk about those. What happened? <laughs> well, then my father moved out to move in with his girlfriend and left me this. He, we had this huge rent stabilized three bedroom apartment. Amazing. Yeah. And so I, it was sort of amazing, but it was like just my hell hole basically, but I was there and, you know, I made it beautiful, but I was like a, a, a crazy person. So, <laughs> and so one day after, soon after my dad moved out, I think it was two months after my dad moved out, the house burned down. What? Yeah. How? I don't, well, I mean, it's arguable. I think that they set it on fire, the building, because they were trying to get the people who had rent stabilized apartments Ugh. out. So this is the place that you were last with with your mom. This is the same place. My mom the- didn't live there. No, so this it's just like different. A, yeah, it's a different, but also okay. in Queens. Yeah. But lots of memories. Yo, know, I lived there for like 15 years or more from 12 to 26. Were you, in the, were you there when it happened or? No, I was at a party in Williamsburg and I got a phone call from my then partner in life, whatever we want to call him. And he was like, the house is, bur- uh, you know, burning down and... um 
he was in the house when Oof. the fire started. And so I came back and half the house burnt down. My cat was miraculously alive. She was in the house, you know, the half yeah, that yeah. hadn't burned down. And then I moved into the part that hadn't burned down and lived there for four months waiting for them to come fix it, which they never did. Wow. Are, are, were there like walls? Mis- like, I mean, like if it rains, like what? Ha- I'm just trying to figure out like what was the damage? <laughs> Have you ever seen Fight Club? Yes. It was like I watched that. that movie way too many times. So you know the house that they moved into? Yeah, yeah. It, it was, was like, like living that. like that. All right. <laughs> it was insane. And I also had like my drug dealer coming and bringing me heroin every day. And um, and that's how I lived. And then that was, I think the house burnt down after because we missed the part where, so I got pregnant somewhere along that journey. And with this partner. With this partner and um, accidentally. And this was after, I also had a near-death experience. So 24, I had a near-death experience. So what these was that? Were all the where was your, ne- what happened with your near-death experience? I'll tell you right now, but here's the thing. So like, you're saying no consequences, but I'm saying like the universe was saying. You just weren't listening was at all. Listening. I mean, Jesus, how much did they have to like give you? They were really <laughs> oh like, hey, so 24. By the way, lesson to the audience. I know you hear it a lot, but we always say like, if you don't listen and you don't pay attention, it just gets worse and stronger. So like, you are the perfect example. It's true. And you don't need this much to wake up like. Not everyone needs to like have their house burned down and their daughter die. Like they don't need. All so you that. got pregnant and then. Well, first the near death. So I had um, like this weird story, which I won't go into because it's so long. But like basically somehow I discovered that I had a seven pound tumor in my uterus and I was hauled off to the hospital. I had no health insurance, no life insurance. Like my dad was broke and he was like, but I saved life of a famous OBGYN. <laughs> so we go there now, you know, and I was like, all right, you know, like I'm just this kid perpetual kid and puts me in the car and drives me to the hospital and the guy and puts me immediately and he's like gives me an emergency surgery to remove this seven pound tumor from my uterus oh my god and so then he's like if you don't have a kid within two years you'll never have children because your uterus will get this tumor back it comes back but if you have a kid that cures the tumor so I was like, I'm not going to have a kid in two years. Like, look at me. Like, I'm not. What are You're you like, talking I'm, about? I'm too busy doing heroin right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even. I don't. I think I was just beginning the heroin thing at that point. But then two years later, basically to the dot, I got accidentally pregnant with this guy. And. Wow. And then I, well, I decided to keep her, even though I wasn't in a position to be a mom at 26. And I didn't know how that was going to work. But I was like, you know, the universe works stuff out. I'll work it out. And, um, and I stopped drinking and doing drugs for like the time that it took to have her just so that I could do that. But I wasn't like sober. Like I wasn't like right in some like, Oh, like right, it, program, it didn't yeah. fix me. I was like, yeah, I was like angry. And so then I gave birth to her and she was so, well, you know, I mean, she's so beautiful and she was so perfect. It was so crazy. Like holding this little baby in the hospital and being like, it was so interesting because I remember feeling this deep desire to love her the way that she deserved to be loved. Uh. I knew that I couldn't ever be strong enough in the state that I was then in to be, to be that kind of person. I knew I wasn't virtuous. I wasn't aligned. I wasn't in any kind of integrity. I didn't know that I wasn't, but I didn't, I could tell that I couldn't be like, it was so it's like you knew. It's like you just didn't have the language for it. Yeah. But I didn't have the willingness to stop either. Like I was just like, just I don't there know. Yet. I wasn't there yet. And then four months later, she was super healthy, 100% healthy, perfect baby. Four months later, she died of sudden infant death syndrome. And he brought her to me dead. Your partner? Yeah. Ugh. 
And so then there was that whole scene and rushing to the hospital. And it was only after so that. Thanks. Yeah, it's weird to be saying this whole story like now. So pregnant. So pregnant. Barking on like, world. Yeah. yeah. And you're a different person. I'm a different person. Or I'm. I mean, I'm you're the person. same person. I don't yes. think I was a person at that time. I think I was like. Oh, that's an interesting one. I wasn't know. a person. Yeah, I think I was like a, a, an eclipse of some kind. Like there was, I was eclipsed. There was no me. So, I mean, that's devastating. So your house burned down. No, this is before the house burned down, the baby. Yeah, the baby, then the house burned down. And then my like best friend hung himself and there was all these shots. It's just dark. Everything's really dark. Yeah. So what like, do you, where are you now? Like, are you, I mean, I get that you're deeper into drugs because what the fuck else do you do at this point? You're like, you need a numb. I mean, as soon as she, her as funeral, I picked up heroin. Like I'm I sure. Like, yeah. Uh, I'm sure. It's, yeah. It's un- unreal. And I was like, I can't. It's, I mean, I, I'm almost at a loss for words having a child myself, like just knowing that it's just, it, I used to, I actually even can't even I can't even use words. I'm so sad even thinking about it because it's just so hard. Yeah, it's really hard. So you're obviously not in a great place. The house burns out. So then when like what was did was there a moment? Was it a recognizing what happened? Well, then my father died. Uh, he died of a heart attack, and that was was it so sudden you weren't expecting it. No, he wasn't. Yeah, he told us that he was gonna die. Uh, relative, he was like, I will die not so far from now. So, you know, please prepare yourself. <laughs> He's such a character. I love and him. He was like, I love him. I don't even know him. He was like, I will never be sick or, you know, in hospital, like one day, poof, like they will just take me and I will be gone. So, you know, why do you want to start preparing yourself? Like he would say things like that. Wow. And that's exactly what happened. He and like were you prepared? Up. No, I wasn't. I was not prepared. And I just... I took that to ha- to fall into what would become like the worst year of my life or the hardest year of my life um, because I was, I had, I had no God. Like he was God. Yeah. He was that state. Like today people come to me and I, you know, guide thousands of people and they're all like, how do you get there? And I show them, I empower people, but n- no one empowered me to be self-sufficient he he only gave me like he gave me that energy you know but it's amazing that you're now a teacher of it and the inspiration for so many it's almost as if you had to learn it yourself like you know it's like the kid they sent out to the woods and it's like come back the man and like come back the teacher it's the warrior it's like that's like you it's like he knew that it's like he did I'm sure he knew exactly who you like what you were going to be doing but so you always said you didn't have a god you had him what do you have now? Do you still have him? Is it still him for you or what is it? No, it's most certainly not him. And uh, I don't think, I think he would laugh. If he's here now, he's laughing because the idea of a person being capable of filling that role is so laughable. Yeah. Um, That energy, I call it God, but I'm not religious at all. And I'm speaking about my soul and I'm speaking about the beautiful like dimensions that we you know if anyone who's listening to this has done drugs you can just so easily if you pop some mushrooms in your mouth be like oh none of this is real so that part the part that we see is oh that's not real real is taxes and rent and 
you know, boob jobs. That's real <laughs> in LA. Um, what's real and what became real in that moment when I found this, when I had this awakening was, oh, everything else isn't real. This is the only thing that's real. And this is what I'm devoting my life to is the state and the space, the sweetness that is not discernible on the planet. You can't prove it. You can't, you know, it's unprovable. You just have to be it. Yeah, you have to, and you can't be even it. believe in it. You can only be it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'm like, I'm sure you've said that a million times. Um, so what was it though, the moment? The moment was my father passed away. I had this crazy year. And through that, there was a time after that where I started to see some uh, healers and stuff. My, like people treated me to that because I had no money. Like he left, he was like, I will leave you with, you know, so much love, but no money, you know? <laughs> like, it was like, okay, dad, you know, like, he just, he wasn't like a money kind of guy. It's so interesting. But anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm doing this meditation uh, from the fourth work that my father had taught me called divided attention, which is one of the things I teach, which means floating above yourself and seeing yourself in third person while you go through life, which is a great meditation tool because you can use it. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Were you... Obviously, he taught you a lot throughout your yeah. lifetime together. Were you like when you were in, I know we're not using the word spiral, but when you were in your debauch, yeah. um, were you meditating? Were you doing that stuff? I was, but in a very self-absorbed way. So, Like to can, see things, like to like, well, go ahead, tell me. I I'm was just kind of like, it was vanity. Like I was like, I'm a meditator. You know, Got like it. it wasn't like, it wasn't devotional because it, it was I like was, a cool thing versus like something you were actually... Well, I mean, it was a part, I'd been doing it since I was a baby. So yeah. I think I was like, the way one brushes their teeth, that's to brush your teeth while you do heroin. Yeah. I still did yoga while I did heroin. I would go to Bikram on Coke. That's you know? like, I, it's, you're such a fascinating species. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, okay. So you were meditating. So you doing this meditation after your dad passed is not crazy. Not crazy, but I also had these healers come into right. my life that were gifted as like people who were devotees of my father were like giving me money you. to me to, yeah, to, to, to help me. And so I saw some healers and this one person guided me to float above myself and start to see myself. And something about that meditation started to stick. And I started to, I just don't know what happened, but one day I floated above myself and saw what I actually looked like. And I was like, you are a heroin addict. Like you're a full on, you're a drug addict. Like this isn't like a little bit, little thing. Like in 10 years, you will still be a drug addict. That's it. That's all you have going for you. Like there's no other chance here. And so I looked at a little, I think I wrote a little list of what I wanted. And it was like a husband and a kid and a career. I think those were like some of the things, you know, people pretty normal, what we yeah. all want. So, so boring, but I wanted those things. And I just asked myself, like, if I continue to do heroin and cocaine every day and live in poverty and not know how to make money and like all these things, what are the chances of that happening? And I could just see that the chances were zero. And I was like, I'm going to get uglier. <laughs> like this is not gonna look so pretty like heroin and cocaine for if i'm i was 29 then oh yeah no it's at it's, 39 it's not a great look no it's not. <laughs> and i was just like and i could see myself being that woman because i'm kind of i'm kind of brilliant so that was there so i could see myself being like this brilliant artist like loser at a party like flirting with some guy 10 years younger than me and being like yeah you and know like i just was disgusting by yeah. this vision of the possibility I could see the truth for the first time of like where 
it, it never occurred to me that there was consequences to my actions. I just thought, this is just how it is, you know, and if I die, I die. You know, I just was so fucking laissez-faire about all of it. And did you start making changes from that point on, or was this like a struggle? Like, did, did you have to find her, or did it clearly kind of come into you? It clearly came in, and I got sober that day. I literally, like, did all the things that one does to get sober, and I became a sober woman that day. And that was almost 10 years ago. Do you um, communicate with your dad? Like through the other side? Yeah. Or however you, do you talk to him? Do you? I pray to him and my mother every day. Um, and prayer for me, again, is like communication with the astral plane. And so so it it's isn't like so too. literal. But I feel like I have a much closer relationship with my mom, actually. Like I feel like she's really with me on a very, in a very intense way. Sorry for the interruption, but there's some special things happening at the den that we really want to make you aware of. We get asked all the time about retreats or how people can participate and what the den has to offer if they don't live near a location. Well, we have an amazing four day silent retreat in an insane location in Malibu. It's November 8th through 11th and Heather Preet, our senior mindfulness teacher will be leading it. This is an incredible lifetime experience. Go to denretreats.com for more information or to sign up. Also, we're starting Den Talks Live. Yay! We're taking this podcast live once a month, so you have the chance to come and hear some of these amazing people speak in person. There's always going to be a Q&A as well at the end, so you do get a chance to ask questions too. Sometimes it's going to be interviews like we do here, deep one-on-ones, and sometimes they're going to be panels with incredible guests creating inspiring discussion. Our first one is Saturday evening, November 10th. This guest is insane. We are so excited. Now look, we're going to announce this in a couple of weeks, but if you want to know ahead of time who the guest is and get first dibs on grabbing your space, join our brand new Dentox secret Facebook group. Just search Dentox podcast and Facebook. Remember Dentox is one word. These events are going to be small and intimate. So not only is it an amazing opportunity to really connect with inspirational people, but you also really want to reserve your spot. I think you guys are going to be just as excited as we are to have this person at the den. Hope to see you on the Facebook page. When you started clearing, like when you saw the truth and you started actually putting one foot in front of the other, was there grieving that came with that? I mean, because there was so much, so many drugs and stuff happening while you were going through all of this loss. Was there stuff that came up for you, like retroactively that you hadn't processed? It took years for that to even be the case. Really? Yeah. For the first thing you get when you wake up is like, just, you know, you're just freaking out that you're like capable of being a a decent human because it, you know, it's sort of like Groundhog Day when Bill Murray like stops being a dick for the first time. Yeah. He's just like, oh my God, you can help the homeless man. You can feed the hungry person. You can be kind to people like what? He can't believe it. And you get so high on that. So it took two years before I even had a feeling, really, like a real feeling. Do you feel like that's almost like in a way like the universe helping you get strong before you start processing the shit so that you don't go backwards? Yeah, It's like, let's really like, here's your warm up. It was a warm up for sure. And so I think that the real work started about two years into sobriety because I was on the verge of like going back to drinking because I was like, what is this? Wait, what? What's this? And did it hit you? Like, was it kind of out of the blue? Yeah, it hit me. It was just more, it it became boring. You know, the funny thing is, is that 
feelings when they start coming to you, the first experience of them is boredom. And really? Yeah. And so like, you're like, this is, I don't want to do this, but that's a mass. Right. It's They're another not, like, it's like, I don't want to deal with this. It's a veneer. And, and for anyone who's listening to this, because it's so funny because I was talking to someone about this and they were like, boredom. Like if there's one epic feeling that is the killer of all killers, it's boredom. Yeah. And that was where it came. But the, I found out there is no such thing as boredom. The boredom is just a mask for rage and, and agony and deep, deep, deep wounds. But that is fascinating. Like boredom is just a mask. And it's true. Like I'm actually now in my head going like in, in a much lighter way, but yeah. still I'm like, times I've been bored. You're right. There's shit happening in there that I'm just avoiding. Yep. That's fascinating. Yeah. So boredom first, and then also you had to start processing. Yeah. And that it's taken many years, but I, um, I devoted my life to my father's work at that moment, two years into my sobriety. And I was like, so, so really, so when you started kind of the feeling started coming is when you decided this is what you need to do. Well, I was either that or I was going to go back to drinking. Because I was like, literally like, I can't live like this. This is not what I got sober for. Like, I didn't get sober to feel like this. And so when did you start teaching? So then when did that become a career? That, so, that thing on your list? So that was for you. So I now again, I was broke. I was like working odd jobs, just recording records and like being like a wayward little artist, you know, which I love me, but it was a, it was a mess. And, <laughs> and I was grateful to be sober and I was like in love and there was many things working, but one of the things that wasn't was I just didn't know how to function in reality. I'd never had any experience with like money or savings or, you know, anything like that. And no one taught you. No one taught me. No, because yeah. they didn't know. It's not like he didn't, he didn't know. So it was not like he could have taught me. Right. You know, he was like, just, he knew how to have sex and like wear a robe and be brilliant. Like he didn't <laughs> and be enlightened, you know? So I knew that, but it just not, not quite enough to put the pieces together. So I had this moment, I was meditating and praying and meditating and praying and meditating and praying, doing my father's work. And like, I had groups that I would meet with and like study my father's work and my father's work is also ancient work, so it wasn't like his. He's right, not like right. his, but he was a teacher of this work. And I studied it, and my being started to change. And when you, one thing that happens when you pray and meditate every day, and you, when the prayer is one of not, can you send me a million dollars, but can you make me the woman you would have me be, or can you tell me what you would have me do? I'll do whatever you say. Just this willingness. And I kept saying, please tell me what to do. I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know what you put me here for. Like, show me, you know, one day meditating on my friend's couch and sitting there and praying and meditating and a voice comes down. And again, I'm not like, I'm, I don't have auditory hallucinations. Like voices come from within us. Right. They're talking all the time. Either we're listening or we're not. At that moment I was super listening. And this voice said, I'm here to tell you that you are a spiritual teacher. And I was like, what? Like, I just couldn't, I really didn't believe it. I was like, that can't be right. And the voice was like, yeah, yeah, I'm just here to like relay the message. Like, I, I don't really have time to like break it down for you, but like, gotta go. Good. Yeah, gotta go. <laughs> and, and I was like, but I'm like a young brunette, like fashionable, like, like I don't fit the type. artist person, rock and roll. Like, I was like, don't I need to be over 60 and male? Like, what are you <laughs> talking about? And the voice was like, yeah. Basically, I'm not here to work out your branding, but like, that's what you're here to do, <laughs> you know, and just left. And that voice left. And then I was like, holy fuck. And so I, I took the first initiative being again, a novice at all things life related. I got a website and I got some business cards and I got one client. 
And I was like, I am a meditation. I was just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. You know what I mean? That's amazing to get that one client. Did that feel? It felt good. You're like, something's happening. Yeah, but I, it was no, it was it wasn't great. It was just surreal. Like right. at that point, I was like, God, this is so weird, and like I suck, you know, at life. Really. And then a year later, the voice came back, and the voice was like, Okay, babe. So listen, like this has been nice loving the website kind of thing. But like, if you're going to do what I'm telling you to do, you need to do everything that you've ever done differently. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. That's a tall (laughs) order. And left again. And And didn't tell you what? No. Just do it all differently, please. Thanks. Bye. Of course (laughs) not. But at that point, my my husband, my then boyfriend comes to me and he's like, you know, yet we should really like talk about our finances. Like, you know, like, We'll look at your finances and my finances and we'll just like, just see what's going on. Meanwhile, like I am so broke at this point that I had so much shame around that, that I was like, nope. <laughs> so I started crying and I ran out of the room. It was one of the funniest moments. I mean, it would, like doesn't sound very funny, but it was so Or he's funny. like, what happened? <laughs> no, he was like, that is so cute. Like, oh my God. Like, I'm not saying like, I'm not here to judge you. Like, I just think it would be helpful for us to know what's going on because we like live together and we're like, you know, probably gonna spend the rest of our lives together. Like we should look at our finances. And so at that point, I like realized I needed to learn about money. So I, I bought every book on how to make money, how to run a business. And I read them like voraciously and I joined support groups on like how to manage money and like learned about spreadsheets and like I did everything and that changed things for me. And I even got a business coach. But you know what I love about this? Like to also bring it to the audience. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of people go to spirituality or meditation or life coaches or whatever it is, all just hoping well, I do this now. So everything's going to fix. Like mm-hmm. I meditate for 10 minutes. Like you said, I meditate for 10 minutes and probably ask for like the boyfriend or the job or the this. Yeah. And they don't understand why things aren't changing. And I always try and explain like there has to be action right. behind it. It's not just a one lane. Like there's a lot of things that work together. And it's like, it's like your best, it's your best support system. And it's like, what's always there for you. And it's always going to guide you correctly if you're looking, but you still have to like put one foot in front of the other. And yeah, So I think what you're saying right now is actually a really funny version, but it's true. It's It's like you started being like, okay, you gave me guidance. Now what the fuck do I do about it? Right. Like, is you're not going to like wake up and be like a spiritual, like a famous spiritual teacher just because you felt like We're told it. it. Right. Yeah. Or like because- And you got to practice. And what does that mean? Even in that, even in that big version, it's like, how do you really get your, I mean, skills is probably not the right word, but like- you have to practice what you preach, like you said. You have to like raise your vibration, like literally, in order to be able to share it with others. It just doesn't get put into you without any work. There's also a lot of walls coming in towards us that we don't realize. So like, yes, on the one hand, there's this idea that, okay, um, I'm a spiritual teacher. I was always a spiritual teacher. That's not ever been different. So nothing right. changed there. The, the question was, did I have voices in me that told me that money was evil that I had to conquer? Yes. Did I have voices in me that told me that spirituality and money were shouldn't mix? Yeah. And I had to conquer those. Did I have voices telling me that since I came from poverty, I would never amount to anything and couldn't? I had voices. We all have these voices that are oppressive. And you know, by reading these books and being like, look, listen, you know, I mean, I get that you're here, little voice, but I'm just going to read every book on how to make money and let's, let's see what happens, you know? Yeah. And I turned it to my higher self. And I, I said in prayer, I don't know how to make money, but I believe you do. And I've devoted my life to you. So why don't you make some money through me? 
and let's see what happens. And I went from food stamps and Medicaid to quite wealthy very quickly. Wow. Yeah. Prayer. I, th- I think it's prayer, but also surrender, you know, like being like, oh, I don't know key. how to do this. I can't do this. Surrender. I mean, I think that's huge for so much. I mean, I was just talking to someone today about that too. I think surrender is very scary and people, the idea of not knowing what's tomorrow or two months from now or two years from now can paralyze you. Yeah. And so people are afraid to surrender, but sometimes all of the goodness is in the surrendering. Yes. What do you tell people? I'm sure you get this question all the time, but like, well, you went through a lot. I mean, one of those traumas alone would usually <laughs> knock someone off and like have, and they wouldn't come back. Right. So, and you've had, like we said, they just kept throwing shit at you until you finally like saw the light for lack of better term. What do you tell people like that are in the darkness, whether it just be addiction, whether it be death, whether it be just sadness, depression, what is it when everything looks dark and the future looks grim and that there's no point what do you tell people? How can people climb out of that part of the hole? You know, I would point to desire. That's the first thing that comes to me is that there's a hopelessness that I had because I truly believed on many levels that I could not really be who I wanted to be because I didn't believe that I got to. Like I would see people living a dream life of some kind. And I was like, well, they have that because their dad was rich or they have that because they're, you know, they went to private school or whatever the fuck I made up to whatever, you know, yeah. meanwhile, so many of my students today are, have rich dads and went to private schools. Like clearly that's not it. Yep. So I, you know, I just believed that. And what I would tell someone who's in the darkness is ask yourself, like, what do you really want? What do you want? Like, what do you want? And you think about, there's this great, I just was reading this book, and the guy in the book was interviewing, I think his name was Sugar Ray. He was like a, a boxer. boxer. Yeah. And this boxer apparently like went into the ring with like some heavyweight champion who'd never lost a, a fight in his life. And he was about to lose. Like he was getting his ass fucking kicked. And, you know, when they sit you down and they throw water on your face and yell at you, <laughs> <laughs> he was in that phase. And he's sitting there getting like water thrown on his face and he's like be- being beaten down and his coach is like what the fuck are you doing like wake up like you're gonna fucking lose you're losing right now you know and he heard it and he realized in that moment like I need to want this more than I've ever wanted anything in my life if I'm gonna win I can't just keep going into this match with this guy and being like well since he's never lost I might lose too, and I might be losing, but that's just how it goes when you fight someone who's a heavyweight champion who's never lost. He's like, I just have to tap into that deep desire. Like, do I have the do I have the deep desire to like win this thing? And he realized he did. And so he got back up into the, you know, the last round or whatever, and he fucking pummeled the guy. To, I mean, he won. He took him. It's amazing. Yeah. It's believing in yourself. But how, like, how do people start believing in themselves when they don't believe in themselves? It's like one of the hard, I feel like that is one of the hardest things is to get people to believe in themselves, which is so sad because people around you believe in you. Other people mm-hmm. could believe in you. But like, if you don't believe in yourself, it doesn't matter. Like, how do you mm-hmm. get someone to believe in themselves? I think the trick is not believing in yourself. Like, I don't believe in myself. I actually think I'm my worst enemy. I believe in my soul. 
And so it's very easy to, once I made my life about my soul and um, devoted my life to my soul, my soul has infinite powers. Like I don't, I'm actually my worst enemy. I have doubts and fears and insecurities and I'm going to die like any minute, you know? Yeah, you're limited. Yeah. And like, I, t- I take that seriously, but I also think, no, if I'm devoted to that part of myself, then my capacity changes. And so I don't believe in myself. I believe in my soul or what I call God. And I, I don't think that people can do it without that. Now, can they, yeah, can you be an atheist and, and do it? Sure. Maybe I don't, I don't know that path and can't speak to it. Um, but can you, um, my father used to say, he was like, I don't know if God exists. He was like, who the fuck gives a shit? (laughs) He was like, why would I, how could you know? He's like, I don't know. He's like, but I choose to be a man who loves God. And that choice makes my life so delicious, so pleasurable. He's like, so why would I give away that choice? Like if the choice makes me. And someone said the other day to me too, she said, how do I prove to this preacher dude like that I believe in Jesus or whatever she was saying that to me. And I was just like, why would you need to prove that you believe in Jesus? I was like, what does that even mean to believe in Jesus? I was like, why don't you just tell him you love Jesus? No one can really argue with that. And what is she saying? She thought it was ridiculous because she wants to believe in Jesus, but I, I, I don't care about believing in anything. To me, it's more about love. Like you can't argue with love too. Like if I, I, if I love Santa Claus, who's going to argue with that? But if I believe in Santa Claus, all of a sudden we're in a debate. It doesn't exist. Does it not? Yeah, how does he right. get all the way all around the world and give all those presents? It's not possible. It's like, I don't have, <laughs> who has time, you know? So it's who just like, <laughs> I just love stuff. I love my soul. I love money. I love sex. I love light. You know? I love that about you because you do speak very openly about sex. And mm. do you, which I think is great. Do you feel like it's been, how do people react to that? They respond well. I mean, I think everyone loves sex. And do you feel like, uh, people do, but a lot of people don't talk about it. Mm. And I feel like also a lot of the stuff with the Me Too movement made Uh, conversations around it really difficult. Like I've heard some guys even say, and this might come off wrong, but they mean it well-intentioned, which is, does this movement hurt women who love sex and love using their sexuality because in a weird way is that taking the choice away from them too you know what I mean because there are like you can choose to do what you want with Mm -hmm. sex and your sexuality and who you are what whoever you are Mm -hmm. which I found actually an interesting point of view Mm -hmm. do you know what I'm saying and like yeah well I mean using sex and making love are two very different things so yes I think the me too movement hopefully will hurt all the people who are misusing that energy um, and hopefully won't go too far into like just getting weirder. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. Whole, um, because to me, like, yes, I talk about sex, but I don't go around raping people. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't use, I also like don't objectify people. I right. used to. Like, back well, I was just about to ask you, did yeah. you, did, did you use sex in a different way when you were younger? Because you said yeah. you learned it. You learned that your dad had like rotating women. And that's what you said. You're like, I was having a lot of sex and doing a lot of drugs. Yeah. I what? used it to feel better about myself yeah. or, or usually end up feeling worse. worse but in the moment, the, mo- the, the, the nacho, the taco, was- what was it? The taco, the nacho. <laughs> the ta- <laughs> 
I choose ding, nachos ding, ding. <laughs> and cock. <laughs> and nachos and cock, first thing on the menu. Not necessarily in that order, but... No, cock first, of course, then nachos. <laughs> um, but it is really interesting. And I do, I, I always find, even though there's been such a change around it, there's still not enough women just talking about sex freely. Mm. Even though it's way more than five years ago and 10 years ago, wow. it still feels like there's still sometimes wow. a little bit of a... A judgment. I don't know why. That's amazing. But so you now you have all these students. Mm-hmm. Your life looks very different than it did before. Yeah. Um, do you like look back at yourself? Like, do you ever do you still do that floating meditation now? Oh, every day, all day. And do you ever see yourself as a little girl or do you always see yourself as now? Oh, no, I become a little girl sometimes. It's very painful. Um it's brutal. The other day that happened to me, I woke up and I just cried for like, bas- like sobbing for like seven hours because I was dealing with some, like some child- childhood trauma came up and I was crying and crying and crying and it just wouldn't go away. But the difference is today, I don't think that's a bad thing. I did everything I was supposed to do that day. I like went to soul cycle. I meditated <laughs> for an hour. I journaled. I went and did work. I met with friends. Uh, I made phone calls. I, I did heaps of emails. Like I just did, but intermittently through all of it, I just kept weeping. And in the past, I would have said to myself, well, that's not allowed or you're not supposed to do that. What are you, hormonal or something? Like, meanwhile, I'm pregnant, but I'm just like, <laughs> right. I'm like so hard on myself. I used to be so hard on myself. And today I don't think I'm hormonal. I don't think I'm pregnant. I don't think anything's wrong with waking up and weeping for six hours because it did end. Right. So I used to think also like, that's it. Like I'm on my way to a mental institution. I didn't get that. This was a thing that was going to move through me. And then we were going to like have some fucking cheesecake. Like it's, oh, it doesn't go on and on forever, you know? How, um, so your pregnancy, I know we were talking earlier about this, a lot about it. And has it been emotional for you at all? Does it bring up, do you go back to the past and the memories of your daughter or, I mean, is it, has it been hard in that way? I mean, obviously it's beautiful and you're so excited, but has it yeah. been emotional in that way? It's been tremendously painful. Yeah, for sure. Remembering my daughter and, you know, um, yeah, I mean, to, this is my second daughter. That's a Isn't fact. That crazy? And then people ask me in the street or at SoulCycle or, you know, where I'm like working out, whatever, they'll be like, oh, is this your first kid? And half the time I say yes. And half the time I say no, just because I just want to avoid the conversation that follows that. Yeah. Also, like, I think it just freaks people out, you know, like, I'm just like, oh, it's my second kid. And I hope that they won't ask further questions. But sometimes they're like, how old is your first kid? And I'm like, she died. And it's like, you know, just an awkward moment. Does, um, do you have, and I, I know you're like, you've worked through so much, but do you have any fear? Like in the sense of like, I know for a lot of my friends, I had a couple of friends who lost babies late in pregnancies, like mm. seven, like really late. Yeah. So kind of in a weird way, same idea, like could birth a child. And, and I know for them, for instance, their pregnancies, I mean, they got through it, but there was definitely this disconnect until they got past that day almost. Oh, interesting. And, and so like, I'm curious for you, like, <laughs> oh, wow. do you have any fear towards like, yeah. The, look at her eyes. I wish you guys could see it right now. Her <laughs> eyes just like popped open. She's like, huh? Oh. <laughs> I was like, no, because you just like opened for me what it was. I was like, oh yeah, I don't really, I don't fully accept that I'm having a child yet. 
And I actually wonder if what you're saying it's means that it. I won't until she's four months and four and a half months old. Maybe that's how old Ula lived to be. So, you know, maybe because I have like full. Th- and you said to me earlier before yeah. we turned on, you said, do you see her? Can you see what she looks like? And I'm like, not really. And I worry about that because I'm like, why can't I see her? And I talk to my husband about it all the time. I'm like, what do you think she's going to look like? Do you think she's going to look like me? Do you, like you? And he's like, who gives a shit? You know? And I'm like, don't you think about this stuff? And he's like, no, I don't care. I'm just going to be really cute. Hopefully she looks just like you, like no Aww. big, you know? But it is hard. I'm sure as someone as connected as you are to feel not as connected, it's a weird feeling. It's a weird feeling, but that makes sense. It's a good explanation for why I haven't fully like clipped, clipped in. Like there's, I think it's, um, God, I'm going to mess up their name. A brand, a very famous brand name of strollers is sending me one of their strollers. Was it Bugaboo or something? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Bugaboo, yeah. So, and they're sending me a stroller and I was just like, it's just hard for me to understand. Like, I'm like, a, but a stroller. Right. Like, getting her in. The, is she, will she ever need to do this, you know? See, that's, fa- it's fascinating. Because there are, pro- there are steps you never got to. I never got to. Because she was always like, I just you carried her. her. And, then yeah. She, yeah, and then she died. It's, it's, do you, does she come to you at all? Like, do you connect with her at all, Ula? Ula, yeah. Yes, in love. But I just feel as her, like, as if she, she was like a, a very high soul that came just to grant me that opportunity, you know? Well, amazing too. I mean, like you said, if the doctor was right, where you you really had to get pregnant before two years in order to ever be pregnant again. She cured my uterus. She cured, yeah. She was like your angel. Yeah. I mean, that's really amazing. It's funny because um, my daughter's adopted and I remember I really struggled at times too where I didn't, because I didn't carry her. And like before she was born, I used to be like, oh, this is so weird. I don't feel, mm. and I finally had to just let it go and be like, I'll, we'll connect when we're supposed to connect. Like maybe now she's connecting with the bio mom. Maybe that's what's supposed to be happening right now. Like maybe that's what's going on. But it was hard for me. I was like, how do I not feel connected at all? Like, cause I feel like I can usually kind of tap into stuff like that. And it was, it was actually, and I had to just let it go, but it was a weird feeling for me, even though I wasn't physically pregnant still to feel like I didn't have that ability. And part of it could have just been simply that I wasn't the one who's pregnant. Who knows? But it, that was a little weird for me. No. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying makes so much sense. And because I'm so, I'm very intellectually centered, meaning like my facade is so intellectual that like, I just go around being like, it's not, something's wrong or like, it's not happening. You know what I mean? Right. Or I'll be in full throttle denial. You know, like I want everyone to think, I want everyone to think I'm one of these moms who's like sitting around, like petting her tummy (laughs) and being like, oh my God, I like can't believe it. And like, Honestly, that doesn't happen that often. Like it does happen, but most of the time I'm just kind of like, you know, doing my thing. And well, I, you look amazing. So whatever you're doing, it's working. I mean, I she's love like, her. I but I just I'm like I'm just not one of those. I'm not like a Hallmark's greetings kind of but person. But I think that's okay. And we were talking about this earlier too. It's like everyone does pregnancy and by the way, motherhood differently. Like right. everybody does it their own way. And a lot of times it's about you and the child. It's not even like, well, who's this person? It's like, no, no, there's another chemistry in the mix. There's someone else in the mix too. So it's not just, well, that's who she is. It's like, no, that's who the two of you are. And that's what forms. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, that's what's so kind of amazing about it. But I want to get to your for you's because you just have so much to say in your, and I have one question I want to go back to again, but your for you's really quickly, four takeaways for our audience. Favorite documentary or movie? That's like, Wow, that's a lot of sections. <laughs> um, 
Favorite documentary movie? Well, I list. I'll do movie. I think okay. one of my favorite films is. Oh God, should I choose? It's so hard to choose. You okay. can throw a couple out if you're. Just to say, I just want to say to the audience, like I created a meditation system based on avant-garde cinema. Like my work is based on ten years of like studying and being obsessed with avant-garde cinema. So this is a hard question for me, just because like picking one. You're, right, you're obsessed. I'm just like, what are we talking about? But oh, this is so hard. How about what's the last good one you watched? No. <laughs> you're like, no, I won't answer it that way. No, I, I'm just like, okay, I'll say any film made by Tarkovsky okay. would be up there. Um, and if you want to meditate and you don't know how and you want to force yourself into a meditative state, just clip on a Tarkovsky film. There's only seven. So there's not many. I love that. Yeah. Do you journal or have another daily practice? Absolutely. I do. um, I journal. I also write daily affirmations. I find that affirmations are like kryptonite for the lower self. And uh, if we don't remember who we're becoming, no one else will. Can you give me an example of like, like, what was your affirmation today? Um, I'm just working on the next level of being right. So I'm every day affirming that I am a New York Times bestselling author. I have a book coming out in April, so it's not even out yet. But that's amazing. Uh, Every day for like an like literally 20 minutes a day. And then I record it and listen to myself saying it. So it's like your own mantra. Yeah, I'm just fucking in it. I love it. Nice. (laughs) Food, drink or object you cannot live without. Oh, man. Food, drink, or object? An object I can't live without? Or just what's something that you're always like, oh, yeah, I I go everywhere with that. Or it's in my house. I would never. It's like your one thing. It's like your go-to. Or a food. Um, God, that's such a hard question. Such a hard question. I think breath, you know, oh. like breath work and the, the breath work that I do. I don't think I could live. What's your, what is, what is your breath work? I'll guide you guys through it. Oh, great. Later. That's what we're going to yeah. do afterwards. Yeah, Perfect. we'll do some of it. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite self-care hack? Self-care. Self-care. Um, I think, so I like to work out, you know, and I really like, I like spinning for some reason. It works for me. I think I'm also pregnant, so I can't do anything else. But when I'm not, <laughs> when I'm not pregnant, I also do hot yoga. That, those to me. I also like massages and spas. I love massages. I could have someone touching my body all the time. I could deal with that for sure. I mean, I would be in heaven. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back because one of the things we talked about early and then we we moved off was, the and you are an artist and we didn't even like tap into that much. So I want to talk about that too. But when we were talking about how artists are afraid to sometimes heal themselves because yeah. lack of creativity, like that is their muse basically. Yeah. How do you, what do you say to those people? How do you work with those people to get them to take those steps and then what happened, like, you know, and you, and then we went off kind of on your destructive path. Cause you're like, yeah, right. I was just totally destructive. So, cause I find it, it is a big block for a lot of people. And a, yeah. like you said, a lot of artists are very dark. There's a lot of shit that's inspiring this. So right. they do need a lot of self-love and a lot of, yeah. so how do you get them to start being okay at taking the chance to go that direction? Well, I would first start by saying you're fucked. Like, you are <laughs> fucked. And so that's good news for you. Like, you are a spiritual being. You don't know how you don't know how you came to be. You don't know what you truly are. And you're in a body hurtling through space on a planet. So you're fucked. Like, you don't you don't need to add insult to injury by making yourself depressed, 
poor, ruining all your relationships, destroying your career, and hating your parents. Like, you don't have to add, you know, it's bad enough as it is. So I think one thing I would say is, like, stop making it worse because you think that you're some kind of fucking genius for, like, breaking shit, you know? Yeah. It takes way more courage to create than it does to destroy. And... Um, but how, how, some people though, when they're so deep in it would be like, but I create every day. Like they wouldn't look at it as destroying. Who would say you're saying, I mean, like an artist, like I would say like a depressed artist might not realize what they're doing is destruction in their mind. They're like, but I'm creating, look at this beautiful music. Look at this amazing piece of art. Look at this script I wrote, look at this book and like all like my poems, you know what I mean? And it's, by the way, not that those things aren't amazing creations. Sure. But how can you get someone to realize what there's, it's bigger. Oh, I see. I wouldn't. (laughs) I wouldn't try to help somebody figure that out. The only people that are worth communicating with are people who are dying to find out. Who already want to change. Yeah. Everyone else is so good. They're just so good. It's like, you're great. If you're satisfied with what you did today and you had a great day, Leave it. Mazel tov. <laughs> fucking good for you. You know what I mean? I don't have fucking interest or time to help someone who's not dying. And and to me, it's like, maybe that sounds really dramatic. No, I like, think I, I get it. Your point yeah. is, if if you're not interested in the journey, then how are you going to force someone to be interested in it? But it's what's, also like what's not the point? for you. Yeah. And what's the point? Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of like, great, you know, like if that's working for you. But it, there's a point when it stops working. And at that point, that's when I have, that's why that's I have a career. Come. Right. That's when they I'm show just up. just like, why isn't this, why does this not feel good? It's like, like I said, in my journey, if someone had come to me and many people did, I'm sure I just wasn't listening, but, and said like, you're a fucking self-absorbed heroin addict. I would have told them they were wrong. Right. I would have said, I'm an artist and you don't understand. Right. If you knew what it was like to be me and all the pain I've been through, you too would do this much heroin. Like I didn't hear it. It was only when I really saw how my desire was to be this, what you see before you now, or even further along what you see when you, once I'm a New York Times bestselling author, like all these Affirmation, things. I love it. Yeah. Like that's my desire. And I'm, I'm coming in and saying that that doesn't align with my actions. It was only when I saw that there was a discord between those two things. But if you're like lying to yourself and you're saying, my vision is to be like, you know, just like that chick from Pulp Fiction who's like selling drugs out of her house in LA and like smoking out of a honey bear bomb. If you're telling <laughs> yourself that's your vision, then at the end of the day, you just fucking want it life. If that's what you did. That's what you want. If yeah. you're a drug dealer who smokes pot out of a honey bear bomb and that's what you think your vision is, you just won the fucking lotto. Yeah. So it's, you've got to see a discord and actually like, you know, life coaches will tell you this. They're like, what, where are you on the scale of one to 10 with your vision? And if you're like, I'm at a 10, it's like, well, well you got nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah. Like you didn't know. And it, but it's hard for us because we're like trained to be like, I'm good. I'm good. You know, like we, we're taught from very young childhood to button up and be like, I'm good. Yeah, it's true. It is like, you're okay. You treat, A, the people want you to be strong and okay. And I do think 
not everyone knows, I think we talked about this earlier, not everyone knows how to teach someone how to believe in themselves. So I think that becomes a fine line too, of like, what is believing in myself? What is truly believing in myself? I think that can actually be two very different things. And it can be used, like you said, as like this defense mechanism of like, all good, I'm good. Like, I believe in me. I got it. My art's amazing. Like, life's great. Right. So it's, um, it is. Sometimes seeing the truth is really fucking ugly and hard. I would I would take out the word sometimes. Yeah, always. Seeing the truth is ugly and hard. And then beautiful. I know. I love it. You talk about bliss a lot, and there is like it's. I mean, talk about that a little bit. Like, you've, you're a very happy human. And I love that. Because, again, going back to how we started, like, you have a million reasons to point to why you shouldn't be happy. And you are happy. And you are okay with what happened in your life. And you are excited about the future. And you're really present and embracing what's happening right in this moment. And there's nothing more inspirational than just that alone. Like, if you just stop there, mm-hmm. like, you've already taught everyone so much with that you know what I mean it's like really incredible it's really amazing everything you've been through and yeah and I'm so excited for you thank you can we talk about the baby's name because you're talking about Sugar Ray so I kind of love it oh yeah baby Cassius baby Cassius it's so great so great I love it yeah she's named after Muhammad Ali and Johnny Cash we call her Cash oh I mean that's a good combination right there it's a good combo she's basically you know set up to be a very talented alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so n- nobody leave yet because don't forget she's going to guide us in her experience, which which involves some breath work, clearly, because yeah, we talked about it earlier. But I just want to say thank you so much, especially because I know she's been sitting, just so you guys know, we've been sitting on like meditation cushions and she is so pregnant and you've been so amazing. <laughs> and I thank you so much. And Lula, I could pick your brain for, and I want to have you back, especially after Cassius is born. And she's going to come back to the den and do something with us too. When after Cassius, like, well, the book is coming out. So we'll do. Oh yeah. Her book is book. coming out and go like, if you can go on her website, all her information will be on our website. So go find everything because her experiences are really incredible and unique. And I know we didn't talk as much as I wanted to about that stuff, but you really are a proponent of like meditation is not the typical thing you think it's, it's, you make it fun. Like you said, you make it shocking. There's art, there's music, especially your music. And so please go check it out. You're, you're really incredible and you're a gift to all of us. So, so thank you. We're going to do Biet's personal practice. It's a five to 10 minute Biet experience. And we also have her music playing. So you get a little bit of a tad of what her bigger experience is if you were doing it in person.
You just want to become present to where you are. Sitting somewhere comfortably is good. Being aware that meditation doesn't need to be done while sitting. It could really just be anywhere or anything, but becoming present too. Life is already a meditation. There's one ingredient missing, and that is presence. And when you add presence to anything that is life-related, it becomes a meditation. The state of presence is always directly above you. And I don't mean that literally. But just imagine it. Use your imagination to imagine that right where you're sitting is a state of lack of presence. And then just imagine that right above you is a cloud of some kind, a flume. And in it is presence. And as you elevate your being, In this case, using silence or breath. It just allows you to float up into a different level of being. That sits directly above you at all times. Inhale. And exhale. Allow yourself to feel any discomfort from the day as well. Any discomfort in your body, as well as any discomfort from the mind. Usually the mind is a special place where we worry about the past or worry about the future. And just imagine for a moment that none of that is a problem. And feel all that electric energy, discomfort, just become aware of it and okay with it if you can, for the sake of this meditation. Now we're going to do a couple of deep breaths. And the way that these breaths work, they are done through the mouth. And so you're going to arch your back backwards. And as you do, you're going to inhale through the mouth like this. And then you're going to arch your spine forward, sort of like an angry cat. And you're going to blow all that air out like this. Sort of like when you see God blowing down from the clouds in those depictions. So it's in through the mouth and arch back, back, and then angry cat, and like God blowing down from the clouds, right? So we're going to do that four times in a row in each set. And each time, 
the first three times, I'd like you just to inhale and fill the belly and the chest with air, and then exhale, fully releasing. And on the fourth time, I'd like you to lean back inhale the same we did. I'm just going to describe it to you first before we begin like this. And then you're going to hold the breath and you're going to hold the breath and push the belly out, right? So you're going to push the belly out and there's going to be an urge to just go, ah, because you're pushing the belly out and that's the thing that's helping you hold the breath. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is not to do that. I'm going to ask you to use the two opposing forces. So you've inhaled and you're holding your breath and then you're just going to push the belly out and hold that breath, hold that breath, hold that breath. And then we'll release together. So it's three breaths in, out, in, out, in, out. And on the fourth breath, I'd like you to hold, push the belly out, stick the spine out, and then we'll release together, okay? Becoming prepared and just sitting where you're sitting. And begin, inhale through the mouth. And And two, and, and three, and, and on the fourth one, you're going to hold, inhale, hold it, stick the belly out, and release. Keeping the eyes gently open or closed. I like to look at something beautiful when I'm meditating. I find that closing my eyes sometimes brings me too far into la-la land. And instead, why not meditate with what is? Get comfortable with what is actually in your life. It will force you to make things more beautiful. If it's not beautiful enough, Guess who gets to make it more beautiful? I like to use fresh roses or beautiful candles when I meditate. Something to look at that reminds me of sheer beauty. We'll do that again, remembering three in and out. And on the fourth one, hold, stick the belly out, and then we'll release together. Begin always through the mouth. And two. And three. And on the fourth one, hold, inhale. Stick the belly out. And release. You might feel lightheaded. I know I do. You might feel a strange sensation moving through your body and you might be asking, what is that? That is you. That is what you are made of. People ask me, how do I get there? How do I do that, Biet? How do I do it? And I say, you're made of everything that you're going to need to get there. Just feel the bliss, be with your body. 
And we'll do another one. Inhaling through the mouth, always begin. Fourth one, inhale deeply and hold. Stick the belly out. And release. Notice how you feel around the head, the shoulders. I highly recommend doing this practice several times a day, especially if you're feeling like you're off the beam or not in alignment with what your true desires are. Dipping into your own state, your own state of bliss. Let's set an intention for the day. Asking the universe to remind you of who you truly are. And to seal this in, we'll do one delicious OM together. For anyone who's listening, an OM is a three-part sound. Inside of it is AH, O, and M. As you make this sound, please remember that it has no religious connotation absolutely no meaning. It is just meant to be a vibrational experience that attunes you to the fact that you are hurtling through space on a planet. <laughs> that a sound can do that is pretty special. Inhale for the OM. to release any tension and shake your hands out shake your head a little bit maybe hit something like if you're on a pillow you can tap down just to get that electrical charge going through your body it may sound really silly but this planet is only half of what's real so if you get too spacey with your meditation, just stomp your feet a little or hit your hands, your palms down on the ground because you're half, you're half animal, you're half asshole, you know, so get to know yourself, you know, get to love the wholeness of you. Definitely starting to bring yourself back by wiggling the fingertips and toes. And if your eyes aren't open, gently open them. Again, gazing at something beautiful. It's been an honor guiding you, and I hope that you take this moment and seal it in and try it on anytime you like. I'm sure that you can replay this audio whenever you feel like, so know that I'm here with you. Thank you. Dentox is produced by Michael Burke, Mike Burns, Reem Edon, Nicole Rappi, and music by Alex Fetter. 
If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.